Tonight's bedtime story is called Curse Connection, and when I started writing it, it was supposed to be the special bedtime story's Valentine's Day special. But now it's a week after Valentine's Day, and the story isn't very Valentine'sy, or is it? Let's begin. The wedding feast in the Great Hall had continued with unflagging enthusiasm for hours and everyone was drunk, King Murtaugh and his bride, the newly crowned Queen Cezel, chief among them. They were in high, high spirits. It was their wedding and they intended to enjoy it. Queen Navarra admired that about them. They certainly had cause to celebrate. They'd come a long way and their story was amazing. Even as recently as two months ago, the idea of these two people marrying as king and queen of the kingdom of Perlanya would have seemed impossible. At that point, Murtaugh had been a mid-level magician of zero renown in King Dorwall's kingdom, and Cezel had been a kitchen maid most known for delivering the infamous biscuit to King Dorwall that he hated so much that he outlawed all biscuits in his entire kingdom so that he and his subjects would never have to worry about encountering a biscuit like that one again. And now, two months later, King Dorwall was dead, his family was exiled, and Murtaugh and Cezel were king and queen, much to the cautious delight of the royal families of the kingdom's neighboring Perlanya, who had always been wary of King Dorwall's reputation as an unstable, unpredictable man who also happened to be an excellent tactician and leader of men in battle. Queen Navarra squeezed the hand of her husband, King Rin. She looked at him and smiled. His face was very red and his eyes were heavy-lidded. He looked as drunk as Queen Navarra felt, as did all the other kings, queens, and highly regarded lords and ladies seated at the table of highest honor with the newly married king and queen of Perlanya at the front of the great hall, nearest the enormous fireplace which kept the winter cold creeping through the castle's walls at bay. King Murtaugh was laughing again. His voice had grown hoarse from all the laughing and merry shouting and horrible singing, about which he was very good-natured and self-deprecating. Queen Navarra tried to ascertain why King Murtaugh was laughing this time. Maybe it was something that she could laugh at, too. She liked to laugh as much as anyone. She looked down to King Murtaugh's end of the table with bleary eyes. Seriously, said King Carrick. I want to know. How? King Murtaugh let loose another burst of laughter. Queen Navarra chuckled, too, but she didn't really get why King Carrick's question was funny. She hadn't been paying attention to the conversation until now. "'You really want to know?' asked King Murtaugh. "'For real?' "'Yes,' said King Carrick. "'He was smiling, but it was the uncertain smile of a man "'who doesn't know if he's actually ready to commit to a smile. "'What do you think, my lovely bride?' asked King Murtaugh, "'turning to Queen Cezel. "'Should I tell him?' "'Tell him what?' asked Queen Cezel. "'Her lips were very red, a deep wet red, wine-colored.' Then I shall tell him, said King Murtaugh, and he pounded the table with his fist, jostling a chunk of cheese with a knife stuck in it off of the table. Now everyone was paying attention to him. If you want to know so bad, King Carrick, then I'll tell you. I overthrew King Dorwall with a curse, a simple curse. He laughed again. Oh, said King Carrick, you did? He laughed too, but in such a way that he could be certain to clip it off at any moment. A curse, yes, of course, said King Murtaugh. I cursed his organizational skills. Hey, King Morson. King Morson, who appeared to have nodded off in his chair, did not wake up when his name was called. He did not stir, did not even snort cartoonishly. Well, he'd tell you, said King Murtaugh. He'd tell you if he wasn't so drunk. He'd tell me what, asked King Carrick. 
He's the one who defeated King Dorwal in battle that day, said King Murtaugh. He saw the effects of the curse firsthand and benefited from them, as did we all. And King Murtaugh burst out laughing again. And Queen Navara, finally getting the joke, burst out laughing too. A curse, she cried. You got him with a curse. And then her laughter again swept her away. Yes, said King Murtaugh. Yes, yes, I sure did. And his laughter fed off of Queen Navara's and grew wilder. And now others were joining in. King Rin, still holding Queen Navara's hand, began to laugh, and King Carrick's inauthentic laughter began to take on notes of authenticity here and there. King Marchaland, a notoriously bitter and dour drunk, threw back his head and unleashed a harsh, gravelly laugh. Queen de Voicelin laughed, King Pormence laughed, and Lord Vayman and Lady Tithership laughed, as did other lords and ladies whose names Queen Navara didn't know. A curse, gasped Queen Navara. Oh, a curse! And this sent another surge of laughter through everyone at the table of highest honor. It was such an absurd explanation, but perfectly so, and delivered in good humor to the enjoyment of all. It was a silly thing to say, but the collective mood was very silly, so it was perfect, just perfect. King Carrick, whose laughter was almost entirely authentic now, pulled himself together and said, King Murtaugh, please, tell me, how would you curse me? The kings and queens and lords and ladies struggled to stifle their laughter so they could hear King Murtaugh's response. King Murtaugh, still shaking with scarcely restrained mirth, said, Hmm, well, King Carrick, your kingdom has rich, fertile soil, so I'd probably curse the soil so nothing would grow. No, 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 said King Carrick. I mean, what would the curse sound like? Well, it would sound like this, said King Murtaugh, and then he uttered a series of nonsense words that sounded so foolish that everyone again erupted in laughter. Now do me, shouted a lady from the other end of the table. Me next, your highness, how would you curse me? Why, Lady Uslia, said King Murtaugh, I'd never want to curse you, but if I did, I suppose it would sound a little something like this. And then he again uttered a series of hilarious nonsense words that again sent the guests into hysterics. Queen Navara had never had so much fun at a wedding. And now me, she blurted out, unable to resist getting in on the fun. She had been the first to see the humor in all of this, after all. Well, second, if you counted King Murtaugh. All right, said King Murtaugh. All right, all right, Queen Navara, let me think. Ah, I've got it. And the series of nonsense words he uttered next was the funniest yet, and Queen Navara laughed until there were tears streaming from her eyes. A long time later, after everyone who'd wanted to hear what their curse would sound like had been told and the meal had calmed down and King Murtaugh and Queen Cezelle had finally retired to their chambers and many of the guests had gone to bed too, King Morson finally woke up. You missed out, said Queen Navara. She'd never felt so drunk in her life. Next to her, King Wren was asleep with his head on the table and Queen Navara played with his hair. Missed out on what, asked King Morson, pouring himself another drink. Oh, we had so much fun, said Queen Navara. King Murtaugh tried to wake you up, but you were too out of it. Ah, yes, said King Morson. I'm a heavy sleeper. Why did King Murtaugh want to wake me? Because he wanted you to tell us about your battle with King Dorwall, said Queen Navara, I think. King Morson took a long drink from his goblet, then said, Well, you guys didn't miss much. It's not much of a story. How not? King Morson shrugged and belched and winced as if the belch had hurt his feelings. It was not a glorious victory. I barely had to do anything. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. 
King Dorwell's army was a mess. Men running everywhere, horses bucking anyone who tried to ride them. I even saw one knight with his helmet on backwards, swinging blindly at everyone who came near him until a runaway ox cart full of hay ran him over, continued on through a campfire, burst into flames, and burned King Dorwell's entire camp down. I never even took my sword out of its scabbard. Whoa, said Queen Navarra. That is strange. Yeah, said King Morson. And King Dorwall's armies were always renowned for their discipline. I don't know what happened, but it was odd. I'm happy Dorwall's gone. This new king seems like a nice guy, but I took no pride in the victory. Huh, said Queen Navarra. And it was at this moment that she began to feel the first hints of worry. Two weeks later, Queen Navarra, clinging to life in her bed, her body ravaged by the disease that had already killed her whole family and 70% of her kingdom, tried to remember the words King Murtaugh had uttered when he'd cursed her. She'd thought she remembered them all, but when she whispered them aloud through her swollen lips, the words didn't sound funny at all, so they couldn't be right. King Murtaugh's curse had been nothing if not funny-sounding, but Queen Navarra had been very drunk that night, so not remembering the words would make sense and it was also possible that even if she did remember the words, the fact that their utterance had ruined her life might have sucked the humor out of them. Queen Navarra had the honor of being the first stop on King Murtaugh's apology tour. Her surviving servants, those few not brought low by the disease, propped Queen Navarra up in her bed with some pillows and then escorted King Murtaugh to Queen Navarra's chambers. The first thing King Murtaugh did when he entered the room was recoil in horror at the sight of Queen Navarra, as expected. I am so, so, so sorry, said King Murtaugh. Is there much pain? Yes, said Queen Navarra. That's probably the worst part, plus the emotional pain of losing my whole family. You have to understand, said King Murtaugh. I never thought just saying the curses in a casual setting like that would actually do anything. I mean, I didn't think they would work. I was just saying them, but I didn't mean them. Queen Navarra had a huge coughing fit. It went on for a long time. Then she said, Well, you were wasted, so I really don't think you were thinking about the consequences of your actions at all, King Murtaugh. You asked for the curse, said King Murtaugh. Number one, said Queen Navarra, No, I asked to hear what the curse sounded like. I did not want to be cursed. And number two, I didn't believe you could really curse people. I thought you were just joking. That's why I was laughing so hard. Why would I laugh at you bragging about actually cursing people? That's awful. King Murtaugh's face had gone from not very apologetic to not apologetic. We were all drunk, Queen Navarra. Drunk people laugh for all kinds of dumb reasons. I thought everyone was just giddy because King Dorwall was gone. I thought people were laughing because King Dorwall was such a skeptic about the usefulness of his magicians, so it was ironic that he was undone by one of those very magicians using magic. Me. And I thought everyone was happy that I'm the king of Perlanya now. Well, I'll be honest, said Queen Navarra. I didn't like King Dorwall, but compared to what you've done to- On accident, shouted King Murtaugh. You were careless, said Queen Navarra, and now look at me. And what about everyone else you cursed? King Murtaugh looked a little sheepish. Well, it turns out I botched the words on most of the other curses. I got you, King Carrick, and a few others. And some bad stuff happened to Lady Simley that she claims is because I cursed her, but I don't even know a curse for making someone afraid of their own internal organs, so I'm not taking responsibility for that one. I don't remember, but I think there's a chance I wasn't even trying to say the disease curse words for you. I think I was trying to say the words to curse a kingdom's water supply, but your disease was a lot like the one that I know a curse for, so... Queen Navarra had been through too much to find this new revelation more or less appalling.
She couldn't muster the energy for any emotional reaction at all. Well, all right, she said. You made your apology, sort of. Do you know any magical blessings? No, said King Murtaugh. I really focused entirely on curses during my magical training. I thought they'd be more useful in terms of career advancement. And now you're a king, said Queen Navarra. Hooray! It's good that you can still joke, said King Murtaugh. Even if it's at my expense, I'm happy that you're joking around. Hooray, said Queen Navarra. Hooray, hooray! King Murtaugh gets to be king! Hooray! All hail King Murtaugh! Hooray, hooray, hooray! Hooray for King Murtaugh, king of Perlanya! Hooray! All right, said King Murtaugh. Well, I can see that... Hooray, said Queen Navarra one more time. And then she passed out from the pain. Three weeks later, King Carrick came to visit Queen Navarra. She was feeling better, but she still looked awful, as she undoubtedly would for the rest of her life, which would probably not be very long. The disease had no doubt wrought all kinds of permanent damage, internally as well as externally. But at least Queen Navarra could sit in a chair at a table with King Carrick and feed herself mutton with a knife and a fork now. King Carrick had, like everyone else, recoiled in horror upon first seeing Queen Navarra in her current state, But to his credit, he'd recovered quickly and now was doing an admirable job of looking at her when he talked to her and even eating a meal in her presence, which was rare indeed. So, said Queen Navarra, did King Murtaugh drop by your kingdom to offer an insincere apology too? King Carrick nodded. Yes, he mentioned that he'd visited you first. He gave me the impression that it went well. It did not go well, said Queen Navarra. We argued. I didn't want to argue with him, said King Carrick. To be honest, I'm afraid of upsetting him. I mean, the curse he hit me with was bad, but look at what happened to you, and it... Well, yeah, it terrifies me. I don't think he wants to be enemies, said Queen Navarra. He just wants us to like him and treat him like a real king. For now, said King Carrick, but what happens in a year if he decides he doesn't like us, or decides he wants to expand his kingdom a little? Or what if he means us nothing but the best, but he gets drunk again and goes on another cursing bender? Queen Navarra made a dismissive gesture with her disease-scarred hand. I'm kind of beyond caring about next time. I understand, said King Carrick. But Queen Navarra, listen, this is part of why I came all the way here to see you. Whatever else has happened, you are still alive. Against the odds, you're one of the small handful of survivors in your kingdom, and that means that you have a future, and so do your surviving subjects, and they're looking to you to lead them into that future. Queen Navarra hated this kind of speech. The surviving members of her royal council, of which there were two of the original nine, had given her the same speech over and over since before she had recovered enough to understand it or even be certain that she wasn't just hallucinating it. King Murtaugh told me that most of the curses didn't even land, said Queen Navarra, that they were just gibberish. Is that even true? King Carrick shrugged. It's hard to say. Other than mine, I don't think he really said what the curses were before he did them. Like, with me, he specifically said, I'm going to curse your land so it doesn't grow crops, and that's exactly what happened. So it's hard for him to duck responsibility on that one. And whatever he says about your curse, I think it means something that he apologized to you first. He knows what he did. But in most cases, he just said what sounded like nonsense words, and we all laughed, so there's no way to prove that the bad things that have happened to people since then are all his fault. But, I mean... Lady Simley wasn't at all afraid of her own internal organs before that feast, so I know how I think she got that way. Queen Navarra said nothing, and King Carrick took the hint, so they just sat in their chairs and ate their mutton for a while in peace. Queen Navarra knew the proposal was coming. She could feel it, and she intended to enjoy to whatever extent she could whatever moments remained in her life in which she would not have to deal with the consequences of whatever her answer ended up being. 
And so, said King Carrick, well, the real reason I came, other than to pay my sympathies for your um, many, many losses, is that, see, I still have all my subjects, but the land is bad now, whereas you got all kinds of available land now, but you lost a lot of people. So I was thinking, well, what if we got married and then my people could come here and work your land and everything would be better for all of us? That makes sense to you, right? People, land, you and me as king and queen of both people and land together? Queen Navarra did not feel like getting married in her current state, especially not one of these business deal weddings that other royal families were always getting into. She saw King Carrick's point. His idea made sense. Both of Queen Navarra's surviving royal council members had told her this was probably the main reason he was coming, but still, it was uncomfortable to be proposed to while looking like an actual corpse. You can take a while to think about it, said King Carrick, but I would ask that you hurry at least a little bit because right now I'm buying food from King Murtaugh's kingdom and he's giving me a good deal since, well, since it's mostly his fault, but still. How long has it been since your first wife died, asked Queen Navarra. King Carrick furrowed his brow. Then he started to cry. Six years, he said, using both hands to wipe his tears out of the beard hair on his cheeks. It was odd seeing King Carrick so moved by the memory of his late wife when Queen Navarra's husband, King Wren, had only died a couple months ago and she wasn't crying. She thought it was maybe because she didn't really feel like herself anymore. She felt sort of inhuman and sometimes, in moments when the persistent pain would inexplicably fade, she felt immaterial, but she never felt like crying. I guess we can get married, said Queen Navarra. It'll be good for the subjects, you're right about that. King Carrick smiled and it seemed genuine, and Queen Navarra wasn't so far gone that she couldn't appreciate the fact that a genuine smile was a lot better than another horrified recoil. We'll get married here, said King Carrick. I will arrive in a month's time on horseback, leading a great host of my subjects to repopulate your land, and then we will be married and begin to rebuild our lives. That's a lot better than all this could have turned out, said Queen Navarra, unless you turn out to be abusive. The two subjects looked awful. Queen Navarra thought that they looked more awful than she did, and she recoiled in horror when she saw them. But they both recoiled in horror at the sight of her, so maybe they all looked equally awful, and it was just a matter of what they had each grown accustomed to. Hello, said Queen Navarra. Her voice echoed in the mostly empty throne room. She sat hunched on her throne with King Wren's empty throne next to her. She wondered if King Carrick would use King Wren's old throne once she married him, or if he was planning on bringing his own throne with him. Or maybe he'd commission a new one. Queen Navarra realized the two subjects were waiting for her to say more. My surviving council members tell me you are two of the very, very few people who contracted the disease and managed to survive, like me. That's true, your highness, said one of the subjects. Queen Navarra couldn't tell if the subjects were two men, two women, a man and a woman, or what. She also couldn't tell how old they were. None of these seemed like good topics of conversation to pursue. In the old days, before King Murtaugh's stupid wedding, Queen Navarra had been great at interacting with common subjects. She had always been adept at making them feel special and honored to have her attention. But now that she actually had something significant in common with a few of them for the first time in her life, she felt awkward and she just wanted them to go away. Do you still have the pain? asked Queen Navarra. Both subjects nodded. Yeah, me too, said Queen Navarra. How much sleep do you get? The second subject spoke up in a voice deep enough that Queen Navarra felt safe assuming it belonged to a man. I get maybe two or three hours a night, said the subject, if I'm lucky. Also, the disease deepened my voice, so now I sound like a man when I'm actually a woman. 
It's so hard to feel feminine like this, said the other subject. Ah, yes, said Queen Navarra, and yet we are all women here, but of varying ages, probably. The two subjects nodded again, but they both looked a little puzzled to the extent which it was possible to discern expressions on their mottled, twisted, pocked, and scarred faces. Well, all we can do is just keep trying, said Queen Navarra. Trying to do what, your highness? The subject's tone was meek, but Queen Navarra thought the question was rude. Just anything, said Queen Navarra. She thought about telling the subjects about the curse, about the wedding feast, about how she'd been too drunk and was responsible for bringing this gruesome plague down upon them and their loved ones and her loved ones and herself. But then she thought about how pointless that would be, how even if she could make them understand it and believe it, she wouldn't be doing them any favors. She'd just be letting them into her tiny club of people who knew the worst thing that had ever happened to them was also a farce. And now, said Queen Navarra, if you'll forgive me, I really must go get my bandages changed. You both should probably do the same. The subjects bowed, turned, and hobbled toward the throne room door, and everyone went and got their disgusting bandages changed. A few days later, Queen Navarra called her two surviving council members into her chambers. Good morning, she said. If we invite King Murtaugh to my wedding, would it be easy to assassinate him while he's here? Neither surviving council member looked shocked. Queen Navarra didn't know if she should be insulted by that. Lord Gorn adjusted his robes and said, For what purpose, your highness? Revenge or as a precaution against future curses? The other surviving council member, whose name the disease had erased from Queen Navarra's mind and who she had not wanted to ask for a reminder, asked, Or perhaps those are the two equally desirable birds you'd like to kill with just the one stone. I just think my new husband would sleep easier if King Murtaugh were killed, said Queen Navarra especially if he didn't have anything to do with it or know anything about it. Ah, said the surviving council member whose queen named Navarra didn't remember, a sort of secret wedding gift for your esteemed groom. Queen Navarra suppressed a sigh. Neither of these surviving council members had even gotten the disease that killed 70% of her kingdom, but she again reminded herself that even if they didn't have the permanent disfigurement and the pain, they had lost friends and family too. So we can make this happen, she asked. Yes, said Lord Gorn. I mean, we can try. Most of the best assassins your kingdom had to offer died of the disease. We'll have to settle for the best available assassin, but given the circumstances, that may be a hefty qualifier, your highness. All right, said Queen Navarra. Get whoever you can get. Beggars can't be choosers. My queen, said the surviving council member whose name she couldn't remember. Thou art no beggar. Thou art the... Don't tell me what I am, said Queen Navarra. Attendance at Queen Navarra and King Carrick's wedding was poor. The events of the last royal wedding everyone had been to hung over the event like a black, disease-spreading, soil-corrupting, possibly irrational, fear-inducing cloud. And many of the people who did bother to show up turned right around and left when they saw that King Murtaugh was in attendance, although they all claimed different reasons for leaving and all spared King Murtaugh a few kind words on their way out for fear that he might curse them as they left if they were open about the fact that he was the reason they were leaving. The wedding ceremony was fine. King Carrick recoiled in horror a little bit when he lifted Queen Navarra's veil to kiss her, but she didn't hold it against him. For one thing, it was his smallest recoil yet, so there was reason to believe he may eventually not recoil in horror at the sight of her at all. For another thing, it's not like Queen Navarra was that excited about kissing him either. King Carrick wasn't good-looking, and he didn't even have the disease excuse. He was just born unattractive. And honestly, after the recoil, the kiss was fine. Queen Navarra had certainly had worse kisses. 
The wedding feast was awkward. The table of highest honor had a lot of empty seats, and the conversation was repetitive and lifeless. King Murtaugh wasn't talking to anyone other than his wife, Queen Cezelle, and even then he'd only whisper a few words in her ear and then go back to staring into space and drinking wine. Everyone else watched him while trying to appear to not be watching him, but their anxiety was written on all their faces. People kept asking Queen Navarra if she was feeling all right and if her doctors predicted a full recovery. She didn't tell them that the disease had killed all of her doctors. King Carrick was clearly nervous, but he compensated for that by being talkative and complimentary, praising every guest seated at the table of highest honor for anything he could think to praise them for, from the quality of the material of their clothing to victories and battles from decades before. And then at the precise moment when the tension had risen to the point where it seemed as if something must happen, something happened. King Murtaugh stood and lifted his cup of wine high. A toast, he said in a loud, slurred voice. A toast to King Carrick and his new wife, Queen Navarra. It would have made all the sense in the world for them not to invite me and my wife here tonight. I know that. You all know that. You all probably wish they hadn't, but they did. And I don't know why. I guess maybe they're just nice or they forgave me, I guess. Which I didn't even ask for, they just did it. So I guess they're better than me. But that's not news to you people, and I don't even care if you all think you're better than me. That's fine. But that doesn't mean you can't like me. Or, well, you probably can't like me now, but you could have liked me. That's all I really wanted when I invited you all to my wedding. I thought, man, I used to be just a nothing magician and now I'm a king. But all the rest of the kings and queens are never going to forget where I came from. But maybe I can use that to my advantage. Maybe if I'm just open about the fact that I don't have royal blood, they'll be like, well, this guy isn't as good as us, but he's a good guy. We like him anyway. But then I totally blew that. I got too drunk and I put some curses on some people on accident. Now everyone hates me and always will. But I can't change the past. It's just, yeah, I can't change it. But then I got invited to this wedding. And I knew I couldn't make it up to you guys, Queen Navarra and King Carrick. I knew that, but I thought, well, I can make a gesture, a nice gesture. So I broke out the old magic books I have and I, I tried to learn a blessing for you, for your marriage. And here's the thing. The words for blessings are way different than the words for curses. And when you've said a lot of curses, it sort of contorts your tongue and makes it really hard to say blessings. Like, you just can't pronounce the words quite right. But I practiced and practiced. My wife will tell you how much I practiced. And now, yeah, so here's the blessing. And then King Murtaugh, in a halting, stumbling voice, pronounced a series of nonsense words that sounded very similar to the words he'd spoken at the last wedding feast that had turned out to be curses. Anyway, said King Murtaugh, I don't know if I said it well enough for it to work, but you all heard me try, so I hope it works out for you. Then he sat down again and slumped in his chair, his face turning red as he avoided eye contact with everyone at the table. Then Queen Navarra saw all the eyes turn from King Murtaugh to her and King Carrick. The eyes told her that the people who possessed them were on the brink of panic. Thank you, King Murtaugh, said Queen Navarra. She could feel King Carrick trembling next to her. And that blessing you just gave us, what does it do? King Murtaugh looked up at her, his cloudy eyes searching her grotesque face. It's supposed to help you conceive twin boys, he finally said, if I remember correctly. I think that's the one I went with. Queen Navarra's two surviving council members were not excited to be having an emergency meeting of the council at three o'clock in the morning in the royal council chambers, which hadn't been used since the disease. 
They were both a little drunk from the wedding feast and very sleepy. I need you guys to call off the assassination, said Queen Navarra. But your highness, said Lord Gorn, it may have already taken place. Oh no, said Queen Navarra, really? But may have means there's a chance it hasn't. The other surviving council member said, Quinzer! His name was Lord Quinzer, so the disease hadn't completely erased his name from Queen Navarra's mind. Anyway, Lord Quinzer said, Well, he hasn't reported back to us yet, your highness, so we can't be sure he's succeeded until he does. And also, said Lord Gorn, as we explained before, he was merely the best available assassin, so I have to say our confidence in his ability is not very high. But there's no way you can reach him now? Asked Queen Navarra. You can't give him some kind of signal to halt the assassination? Lords Gorn and Quinzer looked at each other in a way that Queen Navarra knew meant no. We didn't think it prudent to confuse him with a lot of extra steps and complications, said Lord Quinzer. What about sending a warning to King Murtaugh? Asked Queen Navarra. Um, maybe, said Lord Gorn, but who? Go back to bed, said Queen Navarra. Most of the important guests were being housed in a separate wing of the castle, but Queen Navarra had put King Murtaugh and Queen Cezelle in a room far away from the others in order to reduce the chances of the assassin having an unfortunate mix-up. When Queen Navarra arrived at King Murtaugh and Queen Cezelle's room after a long, painful walk, she found two guards stationed outside the door. When the guards saw Queen Navarra, one of them gave the door a sharp knock and pressed his ear to it. Then he opened the door, announced Queen Navarra's arrival, and admitted her to the room, closing the door behind her. Queen Cezelle sat knitting by the fire. There was no sign of King Murtaugh. "'Good evening,' said Queen Navarra. Queen Cezelle smiled and nodded at the other chair by the fire. "'Good evening, Queen Navarra. Please join me.' Queen Navarra walked over to the chair, her eyes searching the room for signs of trouble, but nothing seemed amiss. She sat down. "'What brings you to visit me at this late hour?' asked Queen Cezelle, "'and on your wedding night, no less.' I just wanted to check on you, said Queen Navarra. I wanted to make sure everything was okay. Some of the other guests seemed a little hostile toward your husband, and I've heard some reports of strange men lurking around the castle tonight, so I just wanted to make sure no one had bothered you. Oh, said Queen Cezelle. Do you mean the assassins? Queen Navarra tried to quickly determine what her face should do in response to this question, then remembered that her face was a wreck and capable of most expressions. Assassins? said Queen Navarra. What assassins? Queen Cezelle sighed and set down her knitting. Oh, every time we go visit another kingdom, there are always assassins trying to get my husband. Everyone either thinks he already cursed them or is afraid he might curse them next, so they're always acting nice to his face and then sending assassins to kill him in the night. But that's what the guards are for. They're the best. They've intercepted two assassins already tonight. Intercepted? said Queen Navarra. Well killed, said Queen Cezelle. Ah, said Queen Navarra. Good. Good. And he slept through all of it, of course, said Queen Cezelle, nodding over at the large canopy bed in the corner of the room, where Queen Navarra saw a lump among the blankets that must have been King Murtaugh. He always sleeps through the assassination attempts. He drinks himself into a stupor pretty much every night now. It's not just at wedding feasts. Well, I appreciated his gesture, said Queen Navarra, at the feast. Oh, right, said Queen Cezelle. His gesture, yes. Listen, Queen Navarra, can I be frank with you? Certainly, said Queen Navarra. I know you lost two boys to the disease, said Queen Zazel. Your sons. And people say you never talk about them. Maybe you don't even think about them. Maybe the disease did something to you and you don't even remember them. But I know that influenced the blessing King Murtaugh tried to learn for you. 
And maybe you want to believe in it, just like you want to believe that awful disease was his fault because he babbled some words at you at our wedding feast. But I don't know. I don't really believe in magic, like, at all. Not curses, not blessings, none of it. Queen Navarra couldn't have disagreed more, but she didn't say anything. King Carrick's curse had happened exactly as King Murtaugh had described it. That couldn't be a coincidence. And the disease? No one even knew what the disease was, and it had started almost immediately after the curse King Murtaugh had directed at Queen Navarra. And that meant that maybe, maybe, assuming he'd actually gotten the words right, Queen Navarra's battered old womb, ruined by the disease, might still bear a set of twin boys. There was a tapping at one of the windows near the fireplace, a scraping against the closed shutter. Then the noise intensified, the shutter began to shake, and then it burst open and a man clad all in black toppled through the window and into the room, sprawling on his stomach. There was a rope tied around his waist that ran up and out of the window. He scrambled to his feet and the queen saw that he also had a black mask that concealed his entire face except for his eyes. All right, said the man, his voice muffled by the mask. He pulled a jagged knife from a sheath at his waist. Which one of you is King Morton? King Morton? asked Queen Cezelle. You must have the wrong room. Neither queen had risen from her chair. Queen Navarra was impressed with Queen Cezelle's calm. The assassin fumbled in his pockets and pulled out a scrap of paper. King Murtow? Murtog? Murtolf? Oh, yes, said Queen Cezelle. He's over there on the bed. He's already dead. Another assassin killed him earlier tonight. He has a lot of enemies. Great, said the assassin. Great. He clearly didn't know what to do next. How about if I cut off a piece of his cloak, said Queen Cezelle, and then you can show it to whoever hired you as proof that you're the one who killed him. Okay, said the assassin. I mean, sure, yes. He seemed very dim. Queen Navarra decided this was probably the assassin she had hired through her surviving council members, and if her face had still been capable of blushing, she might have. After the assassin had gone back out the window with his scrap of King Murtaugh's cloak and begun his arduous climb back up the rope to the roof, Queen Cezelle closed the shutter, and Queen Navarra apologized, but what she was apologizing for remained unspoken and was probably misinterpreted. One more thing, said Queen Cezelle, right before Queen Navarra was about to walk out the door. I've never told anyone this before, but that biscuit that I served to King Dorwall, the one that he hated so much that he banned all biscuits, I spat on it before I gave it to him. And then Queen Navarra walked back through the dark, empty halls of her castle to her chambers and the bed where King Carrick waited for her, assuming he was still awake. She hoped he was still awake. I'm Adam Drent. You can listen to my bedtime stories on iTunes at hugepop.com or by using the Bedtime Stories app for iPhone or Android. Also at hugepop.com, you can read the stories and find discussion questions for all but the earliest ones. You can also donate money there if that would make you happy. I have another podcast called Out of All Doors that I make with my friends, and it's on iTunes as well. You can also find the music I make by clicking the button that says The Mispronouncer on hugepop.com. If you want to get in touch, email me at adamdren at gmail.com, find me on Twitter where I'm at hugepop, or call or text me at 574-518-1983, and I'd also appreciate it if you rated and or reviewed this podcast on iTunes, but only if you want to. Thanks. Thanks.